Welcome back to Best Book Forward, the podcast where I talk to authors, publishers and book lovers alike about the books that have shaped their lives. Basically, it's like Desert Islandists, but the bookish version. In this bonus episode, I'm joined again by Sophie Irwin. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about her fabulous new novel, A Lady's Guide to Scandal, as well as discussing the five books that have shaped her life. And if you've missed that episode, you'll find a link to it in the show notes. Today, we'll talk a little bit more about A Lady's Guide to Scandal and learn more about Sophie's life as a writer and a reader, and Sophie will share one of her bookish secrets with us. Sophie, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) We've been chatting just now, so I'm delighted we get some more time together to talk about your book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to do a little reading, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. (laughs) Perfect. So I'm going to read a section from chapter two. And for context, in chapter one, we learn that Eliza, uh, who's the Countess of Somerset, has been recently widowed from a marriage of convenience. And she's been left a great fortune, but even so, life's looking a bit dire because she only has really two options open to her. Uh, She can go back and live with her parents, which she doesn't want to do, or she can go and live in the dower house, which she definitely doesn't want to do because it just so happens that the new Lord Somerset is the man she's been in love with for most of her life. Um, So in this section, she's just discussing with Margaret, her cousin and best friend, what to do next. They retreated to the first floor parlour. It was the least grand of all the rooms, its drapes moth-eaten and brocaded fabrics faded, but Eliza's favourite, for upon the wall hung a seascape that had been painted by her grandfather. An artist of superior talent and some renown, the painting of a tiny boat sailing through cold, unfathomable ocean had been brought to Harefield by the previous countess, and it was a daily comfort to Eliza. An enduring reminder of the golden afternoons she had spent with her grandfather, learning to paint in the simpler days of girlhood, before her skirts had been let down and her hair put up, when Eliza was, had naively believed she might follow in his, his artistic footsteps. Would you care for a pot of tea, my lady? Perkins asked quietly. Oh, I think we need something considerably stronger than tea, Margaret declared, as she wrenched the lace cap from her hair, red hair and the satin slippers from her feet. A drop of brandy, if you will. Not by the flicker of an eyebrow did Perkins betray any surprise at such an unladylike request, and he returned promptly with a tray bearing the later Earl's finest cognac. Thank you, Eliza said. As he poured them each a ladylike tipple, she would miss Perkins when she left for Balfour. Famous, Margaret agreed, though as soon as Perkins departed the room, she was reaching for the crystal decanter and liberally topping up both glasses. But Eliza would have missed Margaret most of all. The last nine months, trapped within Harefield's walls for the strictest period of her mourning, might have been interminable had not Margaret been there. Having her cousin, her dearest friend, at such close proximity after so many years apart had been an unexpected joy. Are we to toast our imminent return to the loving bosoms of our families? Eliza asked, accepting a glass. Certainly not, Margaret said. I think it's a terrible idea. I know, Eliza said, for Margaret had made this opinion quite plain. But I cannot remain here, Margaret. He was perfectly civil, but I think I might have preferred hostility to such nothingness. Eliza did not have to clarify who he was. It has been ten years, Margaret said. Surely you cannot still. Eliza sipped at her glass. I know it is foolish, she said, but when I saw him again... She remembered the jolt that had run through her body and soul as soon as he had stepped into the room. I might have been struck by lightning, she said, flushing to hear herself speak such a high-flown sentiment aloud. How uncomfortable, Margaret observed. It makes me rather glad I've never been in love. Did he look the same? Better. 
Eliza said morosely. Unnecessarily handsome, in fact. Could he not have returned a just a little ugly? Are you sure he is handsome and not simply very tall? Margaret asked. I've often noticed the two are confused. I am sure. Well, the dower house is a little way from Harefield, Margaret said. You might easily avoid him from there. Could you truly not abide that? Eliza shook her head. To linger on the outskirts of his life, she said, always wishing I was sharing it with him. While he thrives and marries someone else? No, I cannot. Yet once more, she considered the alternative, baffle with her mother, she shuddered. But to return to being badgered and bullied by my parents, she said, I think I will simply disappear. There is not enough of me left to endure it. Have you truly been so miserable these years? Margaret asked. Eliza did not answer. Truthfully, while the late Earl had not been the husband she would have chosen, nor life as Countess as Somerset, one she enjoyed, the years had not been without their pleasures or joys. It was just that, in a life spent trying to please a man whose natural inclination was to disapprove, Eliza had had to find small pleasures, quiet joys, until she had begun to worry that she herself had become so quiet and small that she might easily be tidied away with a crockery. There is no point worrying over it, Eliza said, after a pause. I shall return to Balfour. I have no other choice. She felt a pathetic figure and hoped Margaret might say something appropriately soothing, perhaps while stroking her hair. I must say, I think you are great at making a great cake of yourself, Margaret said acidly. This wasn't quite what Eliza had had in mind. Excuse me? Have you forgotten that you are now one of the richest women in England? Margaret said, sitting up and flapping an accusing hand at Eliza, who watched his progress with some alarm. I've not forgotten, Eliza said, but I'm not sure it makes a difference, Margaret. I'm just as trapped as I was before. Then the fortune is wasted on you if you're going to act so damnably defeatist, Margaret said, shaking her head. Where else would you have me go, Eliza demanded. She had thought Margaret understood. Anywhere, Margaret snapped. You can most certainly afford to set up your own establishment now. Have you never considered it? In truth, Eliza had not. Mrs. Balfour had always said that the only unmarried women who set up their own establishments were either very eccentric, very elderly, or both. Eliza was neither. Margaret, be serious. They would never let me. I'm a widow in my first year of mourning. The rules. Eliza, Margaret said, drawing out each syllable in remonstration. You're not mousy Miss Balfour anymore. You are a countess. You own 10,000 acres of land. You are richer than our whole family put together. Isn't now the time to break the rules? And I think I'm going to leave it there. Is that a good place to stop? It's... Sorry, otherwise I could carry on. <laughs> Whenever somebody's reading their books to me, I always sort of lose myself a little bit and I'm like a child oh, at bedtime. Good. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Thank goodness yeah. for Margaret. Isn't she fabulous? I know, she's so much fabulous. Sorry, I feel like it's a slight, it's, it's a weird one. Book one lends itself to being readings a bit more better than book two. Book two I sort of like. Flow on and on and on. No, yeah. I think it's amazing. A lot is okay. that sort of witty, you know, like tall and ugly. Often yeah, I know. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, so when you're writing your book, Sophie, yeah, do you have a voice in your head that you sort of adopt, like a Regency star? Because I love, I try to sort of read it in my head, but I, I can't sort of do the tone in my head a bit. Mm. and do you ever find that it sort of creeps into your everyday life and you're sort of talking to your family and they're like it's very formal <laughs> oh massively I have to watch it actually I do because you get very because by this point I've um sort of immersed myself quite thoroughly in the whole world so I've read lots of diaries and letters and you have to really get get into the way of speaking because it's such a distinctive um way of framing language um there's also so many words that they use back then we don't use anymore so you have to be quite careful I do actually remember I was once on a dog walk and I was 
really thinking in my head about a scene that wasn't working, it wasn't working, it wasn't working. And I was running it over, running it over, losing all sense of where the dogs were. Yeah. And this man stops me and he says, um, your dog's rolling in something, just thought you should know. And I turn to him and I look up and I go, mm, no doubt it'll be something horrid. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen someone walk away from me so fast um so and then i was like at that moment i was like you know what i do need to watch this <laughs> i think it might be a bit much <laughs> it's actually quite lovely though isn't it <laughs> Something... sort of <laughs> awesome i think if, if someone doesn't know that's what i do it you do just look like a mad woman <laughs> a lovely mad woman though <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> um i saw a video of you talking about the language of the era mm. now i hope as you said in that reading i hope i'm not gonna make a cake of myself here yeah <laughs> but if there was something from the regency area be it language or a tradition or something they did that you could bring back for modern day living what would it be yeah um hats it would be hats um not quite a tradition but i just think that we are missing a trick by not wearing more hats I think they were fabulous. They could bring so much to an outfit. There were so many, like, even hats had their own, like, trends. So one of my favourite, actually, my favourite piece of research for the whole, all of the books so far, and I could never get it in because it's actually, it's a fashion from 17, the 1790s, so it's not quite right period-wise, but is that in the 1790s there was this trend for vegetable hats what? where you would put so fruit and vegetables onto your hat. So you might like do like a little apricot or an artichoke and like have these like flat, like arrangements of veg fruit and vegetables. And someone had a marrow, the biggest one I could find evidence for was like someone put like a marrow on their head. <laughs> that is so fun. And we don't, we just, we just leave the house hatless, like a pair of, you know, common chumps while these wonderful, <laughs> I know. I, so I, I really think hats should come back a bit more that's so funny i can see like five minute crafts like oh yeah <laughs> i know it's over. brilliant i know and then if you get you get a bit hungry you got a snack on your head if you imagine like the pigeons and things there yeah i'm not sure I'm yeah i know <laughs> that's actually that's true didn't think about pigeons <laughs> where we are we've got the red kites and, yeah um, they do swoop down and take sandwiches from people's hands and things in the park so uh, yeah oh, i think good. they'd be delighted if people start walking around wearing vegetables on their heads <laughs> Yeah, a bit, bit too much temptation. <laughs> so, Sophie, you have spent years studying mm. um, and delving through the archives, and obviously, you found this amazing piece of uh, history about the vegetable hats. But I wondered yeah. what was the most interesting thing you found while you were sort of looking through those, and while reading the sort of letters and diaries, did it inspire yeah. you to do to handwrite more of your own letters or keep your own diary? Um, I've always kept my own diary. Have you? Yeah. It's not very formal. It's not like this is what I did today, but I have like a notebook where I chuck down to-do lists and thoughts. It sits with all my writing as well. So it's all like one big mess, which is probably quite an accurate representation of my brain <laughs> on a day-to-day -day level. Um, so yes, I mean, and I mean, letters. I think that it's definitely, so me and my um, housemate slash soulmate, uh, Freya, when we're, she often works abroad. When she's working abroad, we write each other emails. Mm -hmm. And that's um, as opposed to texts. And there is a real difference in the two. And I do think the art of letter writing is one we've got to hold on to. Because I think it's something very beautiful about when you sit down to trying to express 
what's been going on to someone who's by nature of what you're doing has to be very close to you, but obviously they're physically far apart because why else would you be writing them? And there's something sort of very beautifully intimate about that, um, which I do think, yeah, I do think it's definitely inspired. I suppose emails, not quite letters, but I definitely think it's made me realize how important that kind of, or not, or, or just how gorgeous letter writing mm. is. Um, and the Regency people were so good at it. Um, Cause they were just like, it was like a whole art for them. Um, so, but the most interesting research, I think vegetable hats top. And then I actually got really into reading about wills book for book two, because the morality clause of the world. Yeah. So I had to try and work out if that was possible. Um, and some of the clauses people chucked in wills, I thought were really fun. Um, so there was this, it's a bit later than the poet and I'm actually going to just make sure I get his name right. It's yeah, Heinrich Hein. German poet, I think it was him, who wrote in his will that he gave all of his money to his wife on the condition that she remarry. She couldn't have it unless she remarried. Um, and the clause and the reasoning was because he wanted there to be at least one man alive to regret his death. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. I don't know if it was a joke or not. It's I brilliant. hope it's a joke, but it's brilliant. So that's another real one that I really like and hold on to. Again, it's just a shame it's just slightly the wrong period, but... Maybe we go. need to revisit our wills. I think mine's really yeah. quite boring. I know, just chuck some stuff in there for the lawyers. Yeah, just to really, you know, you must go on this quest to find my jewels. You know, all that stuff. That's be so good. cute. You say about the letters, I think um, we recently found at my auntie's house a letter from my grandmother mm. uh, to my auntie from, oh, I don't know, it's probably like 70s or 80s, but it is it's so lovely, isn't it? It's such mm. a lost art. Of, yeah, it's um, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, nobody would want to see my handwriting because it's awful. So I think I should probably move over to emails as well. <laughs> yeah, handwriting then does become an issue, doesn't it? You don't want to be misinterpreted. <laughs> well, I guess that's also something that we've kind of lost along the way, isn't it? Yeah. Our, you think we, well, certainly when I was, I'm a lot older than you, but when I was at school, everything was like handwritten. We, we didn't have... We didn't have computers in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, I love hearing authors talk about how and where they write. And I've noticed yeah. that quite often people have like little rituals or sometimes they might have a superstition about their work, things that they're yeah. sort of a bit worried about. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you write and whether you have any rituals or superstitions about it. Well, I mean, I'm still quite new to writing, so I'm in constant search of the better process to be doing. Um, so if anyone has any tips, please do let me know. Um, so I wrote my first book, Lockdown, at home. That was fine. We didn't know any better. And then book two, I tried to write at home, and I went mad. And it just working from home did not suit me. And actually, but I also found, so I tried lots of things, tried working in cafes, that didn't quite work, a bit too much interruption. And you have to buy so much coffee to stay there that I <laughs> a bit jazzed up. And I tried libraries, but then I got into trouble for bringing coffee into the library. So that was the opposite problem. So actually now I've got a great co-working space, which, um, so yeah, rent a desk down in Peckham, which is really, really good because um, it's normal people there who don't speak in regency regency tongue so it's quite good to like keep me keep me grounded in real in real life so i try to not be superstitious i really want to try to like train myself to treat it like a nine to five um but some things that ha coffee helps i always have to be drinking something tea or coffee or something um 
and I'll have different like obsessions. So recent for book three, I've had this obsession with this um, kombucha, which is like lime and sea salt flavored kombucha. Um, and I can't remember. I think it's, like it's called the brand is called something like you and I maybe or something like that. You and me or something. Anyway, delicious. So that's fueled entirely book three, and I will drink it until I've ruined it for myself. And then I will stop. Um, <laughs> so I do have like that kind of little obsessions, I suppose, almost do become like crutches to get you into it. Um, and then if, if, if I'm really struggling, a glass of wine does make me enjoy my, <laughs> enjoy my own work a lot more. Um, so that's the other thing. And I do a lot of, when I'm struggling, I do a lot of like shut the laptop, get a notebook out, return to pen and paper. And that really helps me. Um, but I'm not. I'm trying not to accumulate too many superstitions because I don't want to make it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I have to hop on one foot five times before I start a scene or something. <laughs> might be a bit much. I love that. But then you always have like I guess when you go somewhere in the shop and you see that kombucha, you'll be like, oh, that's when I was writing. You'll have like mm. links. So I get a flashback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god, no. <laughs> it's interesting you say that about the sort of lockdown and working from home and how it's sort of you know in that first year it was fine and then afterwards it's just we do need to be around people even if you're not sort of directly you know working with them just having people around sort of just helps yeah. whatever you're doing I think it's really yeah. important isn't it we want to be together <laughs> I know we're social animals really we are yeah. we are so before writing A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting, you yeah. worked in publishing as an editor. I did, so yeah. All, and we've spoken about your Desert Island books. You've obviously always had this passion for reading and writing. Mm. When did you know that you wanted to write a book? And if you could go back to that moment when you were sat down for the first time to write A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting, what advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know now? God, that's such a great point. Um so I definitely wanted to write books when I was very little. My mum's told me that. Um, but I think, I think I, sp- I sort of, I, I can't remember if I spoke to you this about this on the podcast or just when we were chatting just us. Um, got really embarrassed about creative writing when I was about 16. Um, I thought this is mortifying. Uh, it's too sort of exposed. I think it can feel very, very vulnerable. Mm. Doing anything creative, I think can feel very vulnerable because you've got to sort of, yeah, you've got to just be brave and try and you it's quite earnest I suppose isn't it It can feel quite earnest quite cringe because you're like I am here I'm going to make up a story that I think other people enjoy um it's quite it's quite an uncomfortable spot so it was only yes fortune hunting is the first thing I've ever written properly as an adult um and when I sat down to write it I'm trying to think what I would I think I was quite weirdly to get to the point of writing fortune hunting I think I almost, I think I'd almost want my past self to teach me something now. I want to flip it on its head because ah. I think I was with fortune hunting because I had no expectation it was ever going to be written, mm-hmm. read, like a no expression it was ever going to be read that I was quite brave and I took it very like one step at a time. It's quite a creative time for me because I just, it was like the side hustle. So you can just take risks and do everything we want to do and it didn't matter if it was crap because no one's going to read it. So you just carried on. Um, and I think I, what has been the struggle of books two and books three is knowing people, hopefully anyway, I really want them to read it, um, are going to read it and not getting in my own head. So I think I'd almost flip it. I want to, I'd love to recapture that feeling of just playing around and it meaning being no stakes at all. So you Mm. can just mess about. 
Um, so I'd quite like, that's what the advice I'd give to myself right now, I suppose. <laughs> it's Play really more. interesting because I, I do mm. quite often think when you've had like a big book, it must be yeah. really hard sort of to, to sit down and write the second one. I'm just like, oh gosh, it must, you know, I guess now with Instagram and people like me who are like sort of talking about it all the time, there probably comes a lot of pressure for you of like, people are going to sort of share their opinions and hopefully be nice. But I guess that yeah. is quite a hard thing to sort of weigh on you <laughs> yeah well, it's definitely vulnerable I mean I will say it's also the most brilliant thing is chatting to people that have read your book it's a mad thing it will never not feel absolutely bonkers and so gorgeous um, and people have been for the most part incredibly generous and lovely and that's been so wonderful so I'd never I don't think it's a bad thing but it does feel vulnerable because you then also want to please them and you want to make sure they like it. I mean, what was the only good thing, um, not the good thing, but oh, not the only good thing, <laughs> is I actually wrote book two before book one came out. So oh, Yeah, or at least I wrote the bulk of the first draft um, and hats off to my editor who knew that was going to be really important to, to try and get that done. Um, so there was not too much, I wasn't too in my own head about it being similar to book one or unsimilar or anything. Mm. Um, so, which was really nice and sort of similarly, well, not quite similarly because I haven't quite handed in book three. Ah, I'm supposed to. Um, so I'm going to maybe finish that after this, let's hope. Um, but most, I'm mostly done and book two has just come out. So that's quite, works quite well for me doing it very in advance. So I, I can't be too influenced by what people think. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. working. You've nailed it with oh, two. God. And I can't wait for three, four, five, six and beyond. So Woohoo. <laughs> so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, I saw on I think it was Amazon, Taylor Jenkins mm. Reed said that you are her autobi author, which is incredible. Mm. When you're not researching and writing, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, who you love, but who are your autobies? Oh. Oh my goodness. You've snuck this on me. <laughs> so many. Okay, God. Um, Taylor Jenkins read. I will read anything that woman mm-hmm. ever writes. Um, I think she's incredible. I love, I love the, the, her whole vibe and like the way she like, it's like always teaching me about something I know nothing about. Um, and like going, like getting really intense into a very insular world. I love that. Mm. She's definitely an auto buy. Um, Neve Hagen, who was one of my five yeah. um, authors from last last from the last podcast. Um, she's great. If I, I want her to write rom coms forever, um, who else is Lindsay Kelk, Vary McFarlane, Sarah Manning, all auto buys. Um, I love everything they write. Um, who else? Rainbow Rowell. Oh. Or Roel, I don't know if you've read her. Yeah. She's brilliant. Oh, she's brilliant. I always, always looking out for her, her new novels. Janice Hallett is an exceptional. I don't read much like crime or mystery, but I mm. love her. Um, and she's like exceptionally clever. And you have to sort of, you can't pick up a book having plans that evening. You need to save it for I a because you will not go. Because um, she'll be like, I need to read, I need to finish. Um, um, a more, uh, I don't know if his name's pronounced like Towles or Towels. Um, oh, Gentleman in Moscow. I love Ugh. that book. Rules of Civility. Um, American Highway, Lincoln Highway. Lincoln oh, Hi- God. Exceptional author. Mm. L- will, you know, could read that forever. Um, yeah. Amazing. I think we've all got lots of books that we feel we should have read. I know I've got so many. I'm like, oh, I haven't read that yet. Are there any books that you feel you should have read that you haven't yet read? 
loads all the time. It's such a... I don't read that many books while I'm writing because um, it's sort of... I just want to rest my eyes and just like mm. sit in a darkened room. Um, <laughs> um, not to be too dramatic. Um, so I've got constantly got stuff that I really want to read. I'm desperate to read Fourth Wing, which is the book everyone's talking about at the moment. It's supposed to be incredible. And I love that's also one of the sadnesses about my five book choices from the last podcast. Didn't really get any fantasy in there. And I love fantasy. Um, one of my oh, best genres. And if it's got a dragon in it, I love I love to read. So I'm really excited to read Fourth Wing. So if I um, could give you an extra sixth book then, could you have one fantasy that you could sneak in now off the top of your head? I probably would be Game of Thrones. Oh, really? Yeah, it would be I that don't... whole series. Ha ha! I have tricked you! I've <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <done> it again! <laughs> um, yeah, because, oh God, they are just brilliant books, those are. Or it might be like, um, I have one. There's so many I could do. Yeah. I, I don't read a lot of fantasy and everyone's talking about Fourth Wing. They're like, try it, try yeah, it. Yeah, so, it's so, so good. Well, it's supposed to be so, so good. I've, I've not um, seen a bad review for it. So. No, no. And that's another book where it was sort of came out of nowhere mm. in the sense of like, it was just sort of this organic, I'm sure there was a very clever marketing campaign behind it, Probably, but it also yeah. felt like a very organic, like mm. rush of love. So that's always really exciting. And Sophie, before we finish then... Do you have a little bookish secret or confession for us? Yeah, well, I was trying to think what this was going to be. Um, and I couldn't. I was thinking, God, and you know when it's like someone you know, wants a fun fact from me, you think, God, I am so boring. Um, I think my it's less a bookish and more of like a literary secret, which is okay. that I hate plays is my big secret. I hate plays unless they are musicals i don't want to see them uh, i hate funny plays i hate serious plays i i hate shakespeare most of all yeah i do i do it's boring it's not for me i no, not for me and i something about i could sit and watch a film for hours mm. something about being in a theater and i'm like looking around it's, i'm a bit uncomfortable they never have enough leg room got I'm quite tall that's always a tricky thing mm. for me um I hate them. There we go. I get People always that. want to just recommend plays to me. And I'm like, I do not want to go. Shout. Shant. <laughs> well, we won't invite you to the next no. one then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry to say that's all the time we've got, but I have enjoyed every minute of chatting to you, Sophie. It has been an absolute pleasure. So Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. I hope that you've enjoyed this bonus episode as well. If you have, I would be so grateful if you could take the time to rate, review, subscribe and to share it on your social media and tell your friends. I'll be back next month talking to another author and I really hope that you'll join me then. Thanks for listening and take care.